Yeah, uh, so for those of you uh, who don't know, my name is Alex Seekins. Uh, Living Stream has been my home uh, since I was three years old. Um, and like he said, he was, he was my youth pastor when I was a wee laddie. Um, I was still pretty pudgy back then too, so I guess maybe wee's the wrong word. But um, yeah, I've been here my whole life. Uh, up until about a year ago, I had spent my entire adult life either volunteering or working in, in our youth ministry here and uh, hung out with these guys quite a bit. Um, and I uh, spent a chunk of that time as our mission pastor as well. Living Streams is uh, the only home church my wife has ever known. She came here into the Lord a little bit later in life. Um, and about a year ago, uh, we quit our jobs. Uh, we packed all our extra stuff into our parents' uh, spare bedrooms in their houses. Uh, and we went to an island in Southeast Asia where we didn't have any friends and we didn't speak the language um, just to follow the Lord. Um, and I, I kind of followed my wife uh, into this ministry where, uh, where we were working in, in anti-sex trafficking, uh, trying to connect with women and build friendships and relationships uh, just to see what the Lord might do if there were some women maybe that, that were hoping to, to get out and, and to see if we could maybe help them make that happen. Um, and when we, when we showed up for that, I think we really were prepared to experience the love of God for the victims. Uh, that's something we had seen enough of the Lord taking the people that have been kicked around a little bit, people that everybody else says are just too scarred or too dirty, the sinners and just kind of the lowest. We had seen the Lord really do some cool stuff uh, with people who, who believe that they're lower than, than everyone else, with people that everyone else believes are lower than them. And so we expected to build those kind of mutual friendships that the Lord so loves to use, not those like, not those I'm up here and you're down there kind of relationships, but just like real friendships and laughing and sharing life together, those things that the Lord uses to bring healing and life and fullness to everyone involved. We expected uh, to see that. And we were shocked to see how quickly we saw that. I was talking with someone last night, and I don't really know how much of it was just the culture of where we were or how much of it was the Holy Spirit going before us, but we just didn't find a lot of barriers to building meaningful relationships with these women very, very quickly and to calling them friends very, very quickly to celebrating birthdays and sitting down and laughing with them and playing games with them uh, and also just having serious conversations with them and sharing struggles and sharing joys uh, with these women. Like I said, I think we really were prepared to experience the love of God for the victims when we got there. What we were not prepared for was to experience the love of God for the violators. I don't think we were ready for that at all. I don't think we were ready to have pimps and traffickers that we call friend. I don't think we were ready to have violators that, that are meaningful to us, that we care for. I don't think we're ready to celebrate birthdays and, and to exchange gifts uh, with people who are actively engaged in, in something I think we could all rightly call evil. But the love of God is a lot bigger than my heart. It's just, it's just so much bigger. And the way I've been thinking about it is like in my life, I, I don't know when I'm gonna get used to the reality that God's love is just bigger than I think it is. It feels like every once in a while I turn a corner and I see a new facet of his love and I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? There's no way that was there before, but, but, but also there's no way it hasn't been there forever. And then I think that's it. I've seen the fullness of the love of God. That's as big as it gets. There's no way it could be bigger than that. And then I see there's another corner and I turn it and it's just bigger. And eventually I hope to just figure out that his love is just bigger. I hope to be amazed but not shocked at the greatness of his love and the power of his Holy Spirit. And if there's just, I didn't say this last service, but I just want to say this. If there's nothing else that you hear me say today, I would just say, um, 
please figure out how to hear the voice of God and then, and then just obey and follow. Whatever that means, if that's crazy, if that's mundane, there's so much richness in following the Lord. I never thought I was gonna see the things that I saw the Lord do uh, this last year and, and yet I've seen them and, and it's amazing and it's beautiful. Um, in March, uh, as we know, things got a little weird. Um, and on this particular island where we were, about 60% of the economy is, uh, uh, is tourism. So as you can imagine, it dried up real quick. Um, and these women that we had come to love and call friends, uh, there was this bittersweet situation for them and, and for us as we engaged in a relationship with them. It was on, on one hand, it was sweet uh, because these women that we had come to love and call friends, they were no longer being purchased quite so frequently by men who didn't really know their true value. But it was bitter because that meant that they were no longer able to purchase food quite so frequently for themselves. Um, and so the ministry we were working with uh, just overnight decided to shift gears and to try to figure out how can we meet this immediate physical need and in the course of it continued to build new relationships and strengthen existing ones. And so we, we pivoted and we started trying to bring uh, food to these women. Um, and I just, I really want to thank Living Streams. Uh, because you guys funded about 80 to 90% of the project that came out of that. Um, and, and for three months, 80 women and whoever was peripheral to their lives, uh, every single week got these giant bags of fruit and veggies, veggies and proteins and rice. Um, and it opened doors that literally led to, to actual freedom, both physical and spiritual. Um, and, and I think those doors are still being walked through. So there's no way to really even count um, the, the impact that you guys had in the kingdom um, but so there, there was this one particular brothel that we would go to uh, among all the brothels that we would go to on a weekly basis. And for some reason there, we just had a lot of favor. We had more and more and more significant relationships and our relationships were growing deeper and deeper. And we were even occasionally having conversations about Jesus and about freedom in this particular brothel. And in this brothel, uh, there was a pimp uh, and we're going to just call her name Grace um, which I know be, might be a little surprising, uh, but actually there's a significant minority of, of the pimps who are women. Um, and Grace had the kind of presence that you might imagine from a pimp. She, she had a very oppressive and, and heavy and aggressive presence to her. When she walked in the room, you could see shoulders kind of tighten up. And when she walked out, you would see like an emotional, almost spiritual sigh of relief when she wasn't there anymore. Uh, and Grace was personally responsible for, for deceiving, trafficking, capturing, and pimping out a number of our friends. And I remember on, on one particular day when we were there, we would often play games with the women at this location, a lot of the kind of games uh, that we play with the youth, like Ninja, and like that one weird water bottle game where we throw it around, um, and ultimate, ultimate Spoons and stuff like that. And we were, we were playing... Um, uh, we were playing this game where we throw a water bottle around and Grace decided she wanted to join. She wanted to join the game. So obviously uh, a good number of the women who were on the fence decided they no longer wanted to play the game. Um, and as we were playing this game, I remember connecting with Grace. And I remember feeling like, like the Lord was saying, hey, I want you to really, uh, really like kind of develop this connection here. And I saw her laughing and having fun for the first time. And she was overjoyed when she won because we let her win. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was definitely a let the Wookiee win kind of a situation. Um, and, I, and I just remember uh, feeling the weird dissonance in my heart of loving this, this woman who, um, who was actively engaged in, in like oppressing and violating friends of mine. 
But it was the love of God and there was nothing I could do about it. Because his love is just so much bigger than my heart. And I even realized uh, later that day that this is the same woman that had been like kind of pushing against Colleen a little bit in a weird passive aggressive way, walking around saying, oh, this is my wife uh, on a day that I wasn't there, which is very upsetting to hear. Unfortunately, my wife is strong and capable and knew how to just say, uh-uh, um, in a way that didn't, didn't rock the boat too much. But there was nothing I could do about this love that was creeping up. And let's rewind a little, a little ways back. I remember uh, before shutdown, there, there was a, a prayer meeting we were having. We always have these long prayer meetings before any outreach. And I felt like the Lord started to tell me that he wanted me to begin praying for pimps, that they would go from being captors to liberators. And so I started praying that prayer on a regular basis. I prayed it for a few months. Um, but I, I, really, I really need to be honest with you guys. It didn't matter how boldly uh, the words were coming out of my mouth. Every time I prayed that prayer, uh, there wasn't much bold going on inside. On a really good day, what was happening in my mind and my heart was something like, God, I know you can do this, but you're not gonna. And on a bad day, it was a little bit more like, God, do you do this? Are you good enough, strong enough, powerful enough, real enough to do this kind of stuff? I'll just pray it anyway. But Jesus wasn't joking when he talked about mustard seeds. He knew what he was saying when he said, just a little bit of faith can move mountains into the ocean and just a little bit of faith can take captors and turn them into liberators. And I'm so grateful for that reality. So fast forward back up a couple weeks uh, after that interaction, playing a game with Grace, and, and all of a sudden at that location, we hear something crazy is going on, and we don't know, and there's some drama, and we're concerned it might have had something to do with some conversations we might have had with some women about Jesus or freedom, and so we thought maybe we need to lean back a little bit, and the next thing we know, Grace and about half the women from that brothel have disappeared. No one's responding to text messages or phone calls, and we're super concerned about it. And then after a few days, we hear back from a couple women that are saying, uh, hey, Grace just took us all and, and we're scared uh, and, and we want to go home. And then we started to get a trickle in of conversation. And then on one particular night, um, maybe a, a couple weeks after they had all initially disappeared, a few people from our, our ministry team, they started hearing back from Grace and all the, with, all the women with her at the same time. They were texting and they were saying, hey, we want to talk, we want to meet, can we talk right now, not tomorrow, not in the morning, right now, where can we meet, when can we meet, where are we meeting? And so our friends, they dropped their plans for that evening and they went to meet with Grace and these women and they found out that what had happened is Grace had had some sort of a disagreement with one of the other pimps uh, and, and, and Grace said, you know, I'm just going to take all these women and I'm going to start my own brothel. And so she took these women and she tried to start her own brothel, but then she failed. And she had this thought, maybe, maybe, I, maybe I need to be done. And she knew that, that our ministry had been an off-ramp for women in the past, so she knew she couldn't wait for the morning to, you know, her resolve might change. And so they reached out uh, and they had this meeting and her friends began to talk with them about what freedom might look like and what Jesus looks like and what freedom in Jesus might look like. And then they began to pray and they began to worship and the Holy Spirit came down in that room and started moving in the hearts of these women who barely even knew his name. And, and Jesus, the Holy Spirit planted something in Grace's heart that night that really took root. And that oppressive spirit began to be replaced with a joy and a lightness. And to make a long and beautiful story that is still very much in process short, uh, we were able to find a place for these women to live. We were able to find legitimate income for them. Grace actually was able to get a job uh, with a local pastor for a few months where she was working in his Corona side gig and getting Bible study and discipleship every month, every morning along with the rest of the staff. 
These women got hungry for the word of God. Grace, when we would talk about the word of God, when we, when we would pray or worship, she would have this weird, doofy smile on her face and almost rock for the joy that was in her. And we knew that this was real because the women around Grace were starting to relax around her and starting to feel comfortable letting her know when they were leaving instead of trying to slip out like they were before. And then eventually they started inviting us into this home to do like a little mini church with them every week to worship and to pray and to talk about the things that they were giving over to Jesus this week. And I got to see the power of God in a way that I've never seen it before. Because God gave us the love for an enemy. Um, And Matthew Chapter five, uh, Jesus says this. He said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? I read this verse for the first time in a long time a couple weeks ago as I started to prepare for this message. And all of a sudden, what Jesus is talking about, that reward that you get, it brought a whole new light for me. So I've known for a long time, it's not this weird, flimsy theology of prosperity gospel that you do what Jesus asks and then boom, there's a bonus at work or a raise or you find a bunch of miracle money. I've actually, some of the few like legitimate miracle miracles that I've experienced in my life was miracle money. And the money itself was pretty lame. Um, the promise that God gave was way more meaningful. And I'm still holding on to that. The money disappeared months ago. Well, years ago, like 10, 12 years ago. Um, Didn't last that long. Money tends to not last very long. Um, but that promise is still sticking around. And so I, I, I started to think, you know, maybe, maybe the, the rewards that, that, that are eternal that the Bible talks about, maybe I could just image them like this. Like there's this room that the Father's preparing for me. And in that room, there's this treasure chest that's like kind of closed. And every time the Lord's like, ah, here's a gift for you, he like hides it in that treasure chest. And one day after Jesus comes back, I'm gonna go in the room. I'm gonna pop onto the treasure chest and be like, oh, that's the reward you gave me on that day. Oh, that's so cool. What an awesome mystery that's not a mystery anymore. But I I don't really think of it even that way anymore because I feel like I'm holding some of those rewards in my hand today. I feel like those rewards are continuing to grow in value. And there's gonna be a day when when their value is gonna skyrocket when Jesus comes back to say, behold, I make all things new. And the value is gonna be more significant of an increase than anybody who bought stock in GameStop earlier last year. It's a big deal. Jesus knows what he's doing. He's got some good rewards for us. And Jesus says, what reward if you, if you love those who love you? Maybe they'll buy you lunch after you buy them lunch. Maybe you show up for them in a really hard time and later on in life they come into some money and they buy you a free car. That's pretty cool. But lunch is gone in a couple minutes if you're a fatty like me. And a car's gone in a few years. But I, I, I have this friendship with this amazing redeemed woman that we're calling grace. And I got to see the power of God at work in an enemy in a way that I never imagined I would see the power of God. Paul elsewhere, he says that that our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against spirits and principalities. And usually when we read that verse, we read it as as like a a spiritual call to arms. And, And it is that. 
But lately I've been focused on our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our enemies are not really our enemies. I think if, if, if we think we have enemies that have flesh and blood, I think it's very likely that we've actually been deceived by the real enemy. That our enemies are just decoy enemies. That if we think that people, any people, regardless of what evil they do or what wrong things they believe, that if we think that they're the enemy, I think we've been deceived by the very same enemy that deceived them into believing or doing the things that we find so reprehensible. We're missing the real fight. If evil people are our enemies, it's the spirits that are deceiving them. And the way we fight the real enemy is not with fists or with Facebook, but it's with enemy love. It's with sacrifice. It's with turning the other cheek. It's with walking an extra mile with an oppressive authority who's forced you to carry their burden for one. It's with giving our shirt to people who would steal our coat. That's how, that's how we fight the real enemy. I think our enemies are actually like, like the redemptive power of God pressed into something like potential energy. Like, like, like a spring that's been pressed down waiting to be released so that it come into life or like a battery that's been hiding in a drawer alone waiting to be plugged into some device of God and bring it to life. Because God is wanting to take your enemies and show off his power and his goodness in the midst of their darkness. And one of the greatest joys I think of my life to date is that I have another story to share with you this morning of another captor turned liberator. We're going to call him Bapak. Uh, that's just a common honorific uh, in this particular uh, part of the world, in this island. Uh, and Bapak, he's a, he's a really big bad guy. Uh, Bapak is not just a pimp who owns a decent-sized brothel in the second largest uh, red light district we know of. There's usually about 150 women working there on any given night. Uh, Bapak is, is also part of the association of pimps in that area. Uh, Bapak is also part of the local mafia, and he's also a low-level government uh, enforcer. You don't mess with Bapak uh, for good reason. And when we started going there early on last year, we, we met Bapak and we met his wife, and she was really hungry for something good and clean and right in her life. And so she would invite us and chat with us longer than anyone else would. We would talk with her for hours. And it wasn't long before she was inviting us in for meals. It wasn't long before they were both asking us to pray for them, like over and over and over again. I've never prayed for anyone more than I prayed for these couple because they, they continually ask for it. And we built relationship and, and we were invited to, to birthday parties. And then there came a point in our relationship uh, where we trusted them so much and felt like the next step was actually that we would invite them to our home where we sleep uh, for a meal. And we prayed about it. We talked together, me and Colleen, and we talked to uh, the, our oversights in the ministry. And we felt like, yeah, this is, this is where the Lord is leading. Because we just loved them that much and we just trusted them that much. And we began to see the Lord change their hearts and we began to see the way they interacted with the women who were under them uh, changing and then holding them with more of an open hand, letting them leave, leave if they wanted to leave. And then there, uh, and, and, and we learned about uh, the fact that Bapak, he, uh, he, he actually had cancer, has cancer. Um, and because of the state of healthcare over there, it's just unclear whether he's got months or many more years to live. And there came a day uh, where there was a woman from another brothel in that red light district uh, who had upset her pimp somehow. And so he kicked her out on the streets and he blacklisted her. And she ran to Bapak for safety and Bapak harbored her at their place. And then that other pimp took Bapak before the association of pimps to bring his grievance before them. 
and said, this man is harboring a woman that I blacklisted. Do something about it. And Bapak, he, he addressed the association of pimps and he said this. He said, we have been living in sin our entire lives. I don't know how much longer mine's going to be. How am I going to get clean? He said, I don't really care what you do or say. This woman's going to be safe with me until she's ready to go home. And that was the end of the situation. That woman was safe with him until she was ready to go home. And then, and then a little while later, Bapak and his wife, they made a really significant, earth-shattering decision. They decided that they were going to enable all of their women to go home. And as soon as they had all gone home, they were going to close down their doors and they were going to reopen as a community center where kids could come and hear about Jesus and learn English, where they could get tutoring in the morning. There's hopes uh, this next year to, to put something like a little clinic uh, in there. And then a week later, the boat started rocking. And, and Bapak's wife, she had a dream in the night and, and she heard a voice after that saying, I have medicine for your husband. And so she got up early in the morning before the sun was up. She didn't tell her husband where she was going and she went to a Hindu temple to pray for a day and a half. And then, um, uh, you know, that, as you can imagine, that upset him. That caused some issues between the two of them. Our whole team who was heavily involved in community with them was really concerned, like, what's going on? She's hearing from these other spirits right at the time when it felt like something really good was happening. But I felt like the Holy Spirit was telling me, no, this isn't another spirit she's hearing from. She just doesn't understand what I'm saying. And so we went to their house and, and I asked her, hey, would you tell me about the dream you had? And she said, man, I, it wasn't just a dream. I had a dream and then I woke up and I had a waking vision and then, I, and then I heard this audible voice. And I said, the Holy Spirit, I think, is the one speaking to you. So would you tell me, and I'll ask the Holy Spirit what the meaning is. And the dream uh, was essentially this vision of her, this dream of her uh, on top of this giant, beautiful valley with waterfalls and rainbows and all this kind of stuff. And it was the Holy Spirit telling her, hey, I'm calling you into the kingdom of heaven. This is the kingdom of heaven where you belong and I want you to enter into it. And then she woke up from that and she went outside. It was still dark, like two or three in the morning. And she saw a light source that had no light source or a light that had no light source. And she went to the light and as soon as she got to the light, it disappeared and she didn't see like any light, any light bulb, nothing that made any sense. And she was so confused. And this was the Holy Spirit saying, you've been pursuing me, but that's not how it works. I pursue you. You surrender to Jesus. You let Jesus come after you, and that's how you enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then the voice that she said, heard saying, uh, the voice that she heard saying, I have medicine for your husband, that's the Holy Spirit saying, I have medicine, but not necessarily for his body. I have the medicine he really needs, that he really wants for his spirit to be cleaned. And a week later, um, they, were, they were both in the hospital, him with complications, uh, from his ongoing condition and her with typhoid. And one of our friends from the ministry went to go visit them. And in the course of that visit, Bapak's wife gave her life to Jesus. And right after that, so did he. And a few weeks later, it was two days before Christmas, and that former brothel hosted a Christmas party. 60 women from the surrounding community showed up. And they heard the story of the birth of Jesus, and they heard the gospel and they heard uh, the testimony of one of our good friends about how Jesus saved her from the sex trade and then he saved her from sin and death. And there was weeping in that former brothel with the kind of tears that come from hope. Jesus, he, uh, he's pretty powerful. Jesus has a very different way 
of dealing with evil than our natural inclination. Our natural inclination, our best efforts on our own, they just fall short and they're just lame and they tend to just make the problem worse. You hit me on the cheek, I'm not turning the other cheek. I'm hitting you back in the face. That's what I wanna do. You come out with me with a sword, I'm coming back with a sword or a gun if I can find one. But Jesus, Jesus didn't fight with a sword, he fought with a sacrifice. And I know that that is really controversial right now. But it's not new. It's always been offensive. It's always offensive. It has always been offensive to love the enemy. It has always been hard to turn the other cheek. It has always felt like just lying down for evil. But we've seen Jesus' way start to take root in some really powerful ways. Over the last couple hundred years, for some reason or another, there have been more and more men and women who have followed Jesus in this, in this way of, of enemy love. And it has made a marked difference on goodness and righteousness and justice here on earth. We've seen men and women like Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, Desmond Tutu, People like Mother Teresa, William Wilberforce, Rosa Parks, and even people like Mahatma Gandhi who don't follow Jesus but just take his words really seriously. And it has made a notable difference for goodness in the world because the way of Jesus is powerful because enemy love is tapping into the love of God. And he knows what he's talking about. He's not messing around when he says it's, it's time for us to turn the other cheek. It's time for us to love our enemies. And, and, and I, I've been watching through my phone this last year and, and the last couple weeks as I've gotten here as this strange divide has been kind of welling up around us in our culture. And I'm not here at all to say that there isn't truth and there isn't lie, that there isn't good ideas and ideologies and bad ideas and bad ideologies. But I think, I think if, if we've landed on either side of this strange divide, I think we've landed on the wrong side. Because Jesus has never been on the other side of his enemies. When Joshua, when Jesus showed up in the Old Testament to talk to Joshua, and Joshua said, are you on our side or are you on their side? Jesus said, nah, no, that's not how it works. When the Pharisees would ask him, is it this or this? He would say, no, it's that. When the scribes would say, hey, is it this situation or, or, or is it like that? He would say, you just don't get it. And we're doing the same thing right now in our culture, saying, is it me or is it me? And Jesus is saying, no, no. If you're on the other side of your enemy, you've missed it completely. You should be on the same side as your enemy, not to say you agree with them or follow them in wickedness, but you should be standing next to your enemy and loving them, even if it hurts, even if it costs you your life. And if God himself would reach across that strange divide of sin and death to love us, to save us, and even to die for us, then what are we doing drawing lines in the sand that end with anything else but us standing up and saying, neither do I condemn you? Jesus has laid out a very different way. We're gonna invite uh, the band back up. Um, and we're gonna shift in just a second into a time of communion. But before we shift into that, I, I just, I just want to say, if, if Jesus has laid this way out, 
Are you and I going to take his word seriously? As for me and my house, we're going to love our enemies. And I think that's a very costly decision for any of us to make. But I think the rewards that come from loving your enemies, they're not just this ethereal thing that we hope for in the future. We can see them here and now in the land of the living on this side of eternity. And the value of those rewards is going to skyrocket when he comes back and makes everything new.